business leaders. Speaking of time management, so I read that uh, your spouse is an attorney, um, and I think I read that she owns the firm or is a partner in the firm. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So my wife owns a law firm. Okay. So with your wife running a law firm and you being the CEO of a fairly large organization, uh, how do you guys manage work-life balance and family time and all that, because you have a family as well. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a lot. That's two <laughs> high-pressure type A's in one house. How do you guys deal with that? Well, um, I know uh, my wife is the CEO of our home, so that... that uh, so three high-pressure positions, right? <laughs> so under, understanding that she's a CEO uh, makes life a lot easier, but um, we, we call it work-life integra- integration. So you know, so much of the work that I do in Boys and Girls Clubs is also complementary to the work she does. She's in a... Um, an estate planning attorney. And uh, so a lot of times, you know, she's out networking, I'm networking. It's great to be able to do it as a as a team effort. And then again, with her working with high net worth individuals and other people in the professional service realm, um, you know, joining her as a as a spouse um, is also beneficial to Boys and Girls Club as well. Yeah. How do you guys support each other? I would imagine, you know, there are times at the end of the day where you're both exhausted. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, you can't count on going home to that person who might have high energy levels when yours have been brought down. What do you do when you're both burned out at the same time? Yeah. So we, we do some intentional calendar management. So, um, she has access to my calendar. I have access to her calendar. Um, both of our teams from her law office and then my office work with one another just to make sure that we're managing. So if I have four evening events in a week, um, I likely need to throttle down the following week so I can be supportive of some of the work that she may be doing to ensure we don't burn out. Um, uh, also, um, we, we, we're both extroverts, so we love to be out. So um, while they're not quote-unquote date nights, um, we, we love being with one another while representing both our firms and, and the Boys and Girls Club. Um, we moved to the area for the purpose of Understanding that was difficult for both of us running two different businesses. So she was a managing law firm of a fairly large law firm in the villages. So she was with the law firm that, uh, that hired her to open up a new office in the villages. And she was also doubling as, um, as an adjunct professor at UF Law School. So she was a, you know, teaching, interviewing, counseling, negotiation at law school and also launching the new law firm. And I was the CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs in Lake and Sumter counties at the time. And we had our first child who was one years old at the time and we said there's no way we can do this without having a family family support so we uh we moved to you know moved down here in 2016 she's third generation from pinellas county so uh we have lots of aunts uncles her parents cousins that are all here uh that are a tremendous support system for us in fact you know my mom's home right now uh she's staying the week with us because um i think we counted over the uh starting last week during a 10 10 day period uh we had nine different events that we had to be at so having a support system in the morning and the evening so that's the best my my wife and i are both from this area so we've got two kids and i i don't think we've ever had a babysitter that wasn't one of the grandparents you know it's nice (laughs) having both sets of grandparents here and having being able to depend on family for things like that you just can't beat it um i read an interview and it was talking about you being involved with the Boys and Girls Clubs uh, when you were younger, and, yeah. and there was a quote that said, the club saw potential in me when others saw a challenge. Yeah. What was the challenge? 
Uh, the challenge was what, my, <laughs> yeah. Why did why did you appear to be a challenge? <laughs> so I grew up in a community uh, in the Panhandle where I was in high school at the time. Only three out of black, three out of ten black males graduated from high school. Okay, and uh, you you hear those statistics as a kid, and so as a you know young black. Boy, I said, well, you know, I go to the barbershops, I go to church, I see some successful black men, they have great families. So if I don't graduate from high school, whatever. Um, and there was a point in time where my high school told me I wasn't going to graduate from high school mm-hmm. um, because I was a distraction and my mouth was getting myself in trouble. And the club said, you know, Freddie, your mouth is either going to do good in the world or get yourself in trouble. Let us help you do some good in the world. And um, they helped me through some career coaching. I thought I graduated from college thinking I wanted to work in public affairs because I never wanted money taking away from kids. Um, I, we had a field trip that was taken away one summer. I said, when I grow up, that's what I want to do. And uh, while I'm not in public affairs, I still have the opportunity to advocate on behalf of youth, which is so much fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How did you get involved with the Boys and Girls Clubs? How did you even end up there to be in a position where somebody could tell you, you know, hey, you've got options? Yeah, yeah. So a group of my friends and I got in trouble whenever we were in middle school and <laughs> Um, we had an alternative that we can have one choice of, of, of doing community service work, um, at a boot camp, or we could do one choice of doing community service work at a boys and girls club. And that seemed like a no brainer for us. So we got involved with the boys and girls club. Then, um, we then, uh, continued the program with some of the pro, uh, with some of the different career, uh, you know, career programs they had. Loved the sports and the field trips that they had at the boys and girls club. But at the end of the day, it was just having a, caring place with caring adults where a kid could just be a kid and um you know that that got me sucked in um i still continued staying involved with the boys and girls club after graduating from high school into college joined the board of the boys and girls clubs in gainesville uh thinking that if i can help politicians raise money i could certainly help boys and girls club raise money i was sadly mistaken it's uh, crazy how much easier it is in political fundraising not that it's easy but it's um but uh, but the, after the 2008 election, they were having some challenges at the club mm-hmm. there, and I joined the staff, and that was all she wrote. Um, uh, the the goal and the dream was at the time was that uh, my wife was gonna my wife was attending UF Law School when I gradu- when we both graduated college she would go to law school for three years I'd work at boys and girls clubs for three years I would then go to law school after she graduated law school and then I'd get involved with public affairs but I found my I was very very fortunate to find my calling early on in life. Um, became the CEO of a Boys and Girls Clubs at 28, um, was uh, n- definitely not qualified. Uh, but again, the board saw something in myself the same way the club did that I didn't see in myself. Um, and I just want every day become a student of business to see how I can run the most effective organization. Um, there's no doubt about my passion. And um, between being a lifelong learner and a student of business, and having a passion for the work that we do and using my mouth for some good in the world, um, I'm happy to find my calling. When you first got to the Boys and Girls Clubs, how long was the process of you being there because you're fulfilling a punishment and I've got to get this thing done to you transitioning to actually having a different worldview and, and uh you know, perception of what your future could be that was different maybe than what you thought going in. Yeah, it was about a week. A week. Within a week, you could say, hey, you know, these, it was almost, <laughs> you know, um, when I was a kid, this is probably not a good 
you know analogy, but I used to love watching the um, the Simpsons cartoon mm-hmm. as a kid, and I remember thinking a lot of the, the staff at the club were like Mr. Flanders. The <laughs> like I'm like these you people. start seeing these people in real life. Yeah, you, you. I'm like I'm like no, there's no way they yeah. just they just care and love for me because. I'm a kid, right? And they really, truly are, and that's one of the the, the secret sauces of boys and girls clubs. With you know, being a nurturing environment with caring adults um, that truly care of kids, and you know, kids can figure it out. It took me about a week to figure out, like, hey, you know, these folks are for real. How much of that do you think is nature versus nurture? I, I can just imagine some kids entering the program and it taking longer for them to buy in. Yeah. I imagine some kids come in and maybe don't ever buy in and you know we consider them like the the ones that fall through the cracks so to speak how much is it nature versus nurture how 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 committed do you have to be coming in to go through a transformation yeah so i think you know in terms of the rating the 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 speed in which a young person makes that connection it varies from from child to child um we have kids that on day one um, particularly if they're younger, um, just think the Boys and Girls Clubs is the best place to be, and it takes just a few minutes to open up the doors. Uh, we do have populations of kids that we serve in the clubs where it takes a little bit more time. Uh, we we just launched a new Boys and Girls Clubs at the Salvation Army in St. Pete, and we actually had the ribbon cutting last week, and there is a um, foster home at the Sally House that's on location at that Boys and Girls Club and Salvation Army uh, facility. And uh, those kids that are involved in that program have been removed from their home and placed in the Sally House uh, because of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. So naturally, it would take time and a different approach with kids that may be in the foster care or times mm-hmm. and transitions. And we're mindful of that, and we make sure that we customize the programs to, to, to make sure that we can meet those needs of the kids. Sure. What percentage of the kids that come through come from whatever term you would use, like a disadvantaged environment versus kids that are just in fairly normal family environments who come in for the extra activities and extracurricular? Yeah, so we we don't promote this because we never want our kids to feel that they're disadvantaged or at at risk. Um, But more than 90% of the kids that we serve in boys and girls clubs run free or reduced lunch. Uh, more than 70% come from single parent households. And um, we purposely don't... um, uh, do marketing materials to recruit kids inside our boys and girls clubs. Right. And the reason why is because we're at capacity at many of our facilities. So it's, it's, it, it's a balancing act of ensuring that we have enough capacity and space within a club to meet a kid and have the ability to be able to serve the kid. Um, another challenge we're finding is as we refine in the qual- our program quality, uh, the tenureship of kids in our side of our programs um, is is increasing. So now, you know, as as we have kids that aren't leaving, they're staying in our programs more often, more days a week. So it, it's become it's it's now become a uh, a little bit of a of a challenge that we're trying to manage through. And we think the way we can do that is to open new locations. That's where, you know, the Salvation Army new location allows us to do that. We've recently opened a new Boys and Girls Clubs at Azalea Middle School in St. Pete. That's our Azalea, our Great Futures Middle School Academy. We think we'll, we'll likely do more models. But we've also found one of our fastest-growing program areas is in the um, – 
excuse me, is, is in the uh, digital space. We have a, what we call a club reimagined. It's the Virtual Boys and Girls Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of our fastest growing boys and girls clubs. So it allows us to serve kids uh, beyond the four walls of our clubs. We're finding this really effective tool working with teenagers where they can they can still do esports, have connectivity with their technology, but use technology in an effective and positive way. Yeah. So capacity is an ongoing thing that you have to manage. Exactly. Uh, capacity for need. What's what's driving the increase in tenureship or in, in how long people stay with you? Yeah, there, there's there's two things that we think that contribute to it. The first is is that um, we in 2017 we got really serious about what we call the club experience, and it's a way that we quantify kind of a, a, a customer service experience. Um, additionally, the other thing that we got real serious about was staff engagement and understanding that if we can have engaged staff that stay with us, minimal turnover, uh, that are highly engaged and highly prepared, that translates to a better club experience for young people inside of our clubs. So whenever we, without getting too far into the data, there, there's a couple specific areas we look at, emotional, physical safety, recognition, um, uh, opportunities and expectation, but also having fun as the foundational piece. So um, understanding that kids want to come to the Boys and Girls Club because we found a way to measure it. In fact, it's one of the, lo- the, the tool and mechanism we use. We compare it against the CDC's um, uh, child opportunity index that they have. So we know how kids compare to peer groups, whether or not we're on the right track. We can also compare against other like sized boys and girls clubs to really refine whether or not we're moving the needle in club experience. What are the what are the factors in those calculations? Like what how do they come up with those grades? Yeah, so um yeah so it's 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 a um that we have a uh, a scale that ma- measures those five different domains that I mentioned earlier. And if a kid Answers or indicates that um, they're they're doing great in four of the five areas, uh, but doing well in uh, no more than two areas, um, and no needing improvement, so to speak. We keep it simple: doing mm-hmm. well, doing doing great, or okay, great, and needs improvement. As long as we have uh, not more than one uh, area in that in that survey that a child says that they need help or we need to do better, um, that then shows that they're and having an optimal club experience. Conversely, you know, again, there, there's a lot more detail into the, the measurement of the survey, and I, we have team members that are much more qualified than me to speak on this, but um, <clears throat> when we look at the um, doing okay, mm-hmm. um, we think that's the greatest area that we can move kids from having an optimal experience from having a good club experience. And we want them all to have an optimal club experience. When you are at capacity and you're in that process of, you know, trying to expand, is there a waiting list for kids who want to get in and, you know, you don't have enough room at this time? How do you keep track of those that that aren't able to get in currently versus you know what will be available in the future yeah so we have a great um crm system that we utilize um we always tease we say that you know boys and girls clubs and nonprofit is purely just a tax status um, we utilize the same technologies the same data tracking systems um you know we, we even go as far as looking at at net promoter net promoter like scores and boys mm-hmm. and girls club utilizing principles and sound practices of business. So we utilize the our CRM system through our member management system that allows us to track 
Um, we, we move many kids. You know, it's not necessarily a drip campaign, but we have ways that we can stay connected with them, whether it's um, one-off events. So uh, at some of our clubs, we open them up on Friday evenings where we have a little bit more capacity for teenagers. Uh, weekend programs at some of our boys and girls clubs, particularly in South St. Pete at the Rural Theater. Um, that way we can have some points of contact with them. We're now finding that they can connect with us on this new digital platform with us, which is a great way to, to retain them. But um, we, we, we know that we need to open more locations. We will open more locations. We just want to make sure that the locations that we open um, get the best value and we, we're not cannibalizing our existing operation. Call it protecting our core. Yeah. So uh, we can only... We can only serve what we can afford to serve. So physical locations are one kind of binding constraint. But when you talk about the virtual versions of what you're doing, you know, many companies and organizations use that as an opportunity to scale and reach many more people than they could, you know, if they were strictly limited to physical locations. But the other thing, when you mention that, that I think of is, is during COVID, there was a real issue with engagement with kids who were you know, being moved into environments where they're trying to go to school on Zoom, you know, via electronic methods and keeping them engaged was particularly tough from what I understand. How are you thinking about engagement with your virtual programs? And are you having success keeping kids engaged with the programs? Yeah, so we, we're, we're finding ways. We're actually you know, pushing our national organization uh, as we innovate in this way because not a lot of other Boys and Girls Club organizations around the country are looking at this as how do we quantify the club experience in a virtual world. And what we've been able to do is create similar type of staff-to-child ratios on this club experience utilizing a Discord uh, platform. Uh, we have a director that manages it. We have full... Uh, we have a full-time family and collaboration liaison that helps make sure we can meet the the um, the the immediate social needs that kids may have. And then we have certified teachers that are also on the platform as well. So it allows us to engage that way. Um, but also finding what we're finding the greatest growth opportunity, again, is the teenager. So mm-hmm. it's not a quote-unquote check-in for three hours a day. It's being able to check in for a specific purpose, whether it's job skills or needing to find connections for bright futures for the volunteer work or so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we, we find that it, it, is, it is fasting. We're also allow, finding that it allows us to serve kids even out of Pinellas County in the Tampa Bay region. Right. Uh, we've been partnering with Boys and Girls Clubs in the pilot phase uh, with the Boys and Girls Clubs in the Philadelphia market. We're now doing some job placement opportunities where kids are able to look beyond you know, not only the Howard Franklin, but you know, look beyond the, the state of Florida's lines, which we're really, really cool about. We're really, really excited about. Also, as we talked about the physical constraints of our, of our buildings, we're also looking at ways that we can place kids with companies for paid internships so we hear from the businesses many times that i could only grow my business i could grow my business by x if i had access to the talent Mm -hmm. and then when we hear from kids they're saying we want jobs we want skills in fact research says that one of the greatest indication of a young of a of a high schooler graduating from high school is knowing what they want to do for the future someone who i want to i just need to know what a plan would be for the future so if we can link the demand of the business community based off the needs of what the kids in our program uh, want that it's a it's a, a wonderful synergy um, that we can provide so um, we're now we think that will also be a, a fast-growing area where 
we don't need the kids to be at the club every single day because mm-hmm. they're being placed in local companies every single day, gaining skills and being prepared to be their next future uh, leaders in the different business communities. Right. What are the most pressing challenges you are seeing the youth dealing with today? Yeah, so um, uh, there are two things um, that really co- – three things actually come to mind. Uh, the pressures of food insecurity are um, something that I've never quite seen. Um, we have a, a great partnership with the Pinellas County School System where we provide meals to a little over 34 different um, after-school locations, uh, leveraging a contract that we have with the USDA. Um, the second area that we find that's a pressing need is uh, the mental health and mental well-being of young people. Um, what they've had to endure over the last couple years is astonishing, and I don't think we've quite understood as a society the impacts of mental health on young people. The third thing is making sure that we can give kids the necessary skills to compete in a global economy post-COVID and ensuring that we can give them the skills and abilities and the relationship capital needed so they can compete for the jobs and compete uh, once they're in those jobs to help position their their companies for competitive advantage. So we uh, making sure we can give the kids that. And the kids are telling us that's they're telling us without telling us about the mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, they're telling us without telling us about the the feeding because we see the lines of kids that are asking for meals. Um, but they're explicitly telling us about the, the jobs and the job skills that they want to develop. What are they telling you? Uh, that they don't want to get left behind if there's another pandemic. Um, I think one thing that was illustrated was during the pandemic was certain jobs were more susceptible than others. And if you had transferable skills, even if your job was eliminated, you still could have been able to survive during the pandemic. Uh, If you didn't have those skills, abilities, jobs, and transferable skills, uh, it made it very difficult to to be able to to survive um, in a very, very dark time in our our nation. So they want to make sure that they're future-proof with the Mm -hmm. skills that they need, and we're going to help them get those skills. And we're going to do it with great partners, great corporate partners. We're working with the local EDCs and chambers that identify the high-demand industries, so technology, data analytics, healthcare, um, uh, et cetera. But we're also looking at some of the skilled trades and recognizing that uh, not all young people want to have quote unquote white collar jobs immediately after college or immediately after high school. So making sure that we can get them in the skilled trade, whether it's manufacturing, uh, tourism, Mm -hmm. uh, hospitality, HVAC, um, electrical contracting, et cetera. So we want to give kids access to both verticals, both um, with the skilled trade and also with the um, high skilled um, or excuse me, the, um, the, the, uh, like the technology in the high skilled areas. Right. And then once they have access to them all and have some exposure to that, um, they then can make a more informed decision of how they want to move forward with their career. And they may choose one track and then decide to move to a different track, um, you know, at, you know, while they're 20 years old, 21 years old. And we just want to make sure that they have, uh, the exposure um, you know, early on so they can make a better, def- a more informed decision. Right. Have you had to 
change the mix of services you offer in response to those needs? Uh, like food insecurity is something that's been around forever. Um, I would, to a certain extent, preparing for jobs and future life is, is something that's always been around. Has the Is the mental health piece of it more important or more prominent than it used to be based on, you know, everybody going through a worldwide pandemic? Like, have you had to change the talent and skill sets of the people you recruit in the programs you create? Yeah, we, we certainly have. So I would, we, while we have always had programs for food insecurity and job skills, we've amplified them tremendously since the pandemic. However, an area that we did not do much of any work in was the uh, explicit support of mental health. We always had caring environments with with um, caring adults. However, they weren't qualified or trained for mental health. So uh, we've contracted with a local firm called the uh, the Well for Life with Dr. LaDonna Butler, and uh, we provided. Um, group therapy, art therapy, uh, traditional therapy with kids. And the way I'm, I'm a data person, so we wanted to make sure we can measure the effectiveness of it. So we, we had a, um, a scale that measured their resiliency and coping abilities. And the kids that went through the program, even during the pandemic, over 90% of them increased their coping skills and their resilient skills as a result of being connected with them. But one of the things that we're most proud of is creating an environment where it's okay not to be okay and making sure that our staff are trained in knowing how to identify not only with themselves but their teams but also with the kids whenever they may be in a point of of distress what's your viewpoint on social media and how it affects kids how they use it their access to it personally and as an organization so your personal feelings on it but does the organization take a stance on that and help guide kids in that area yeah so uh social media is a tool um technology is a tool but as for any type of tool the overuse of the misuse of it can be detrimental and we view freddie views social media as a tool that can be used effectively um, research says that if we have the ability to give youth a voice, um, that it's a great way to engage them to help prepare them to become productive members of society. Recognizing that if we can teach them the dangers of social media, but also recognizing that what their worth is, so when they engage in social media, that the algorithms don't make them feel that they're less than what they really are, that's kind of that resiliency that, that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. But if they can utilize technology to help them get their voice out uh, more effectively that then it could we can have a greater feedback loop kind of getting back to placing kids that want jobs with the business community that says that they want to hire hire the you know a, a local workforce it's a perfect example of being able to, to provide that do you have programs that educate kids on that we do we do we have programs uh, that uh, specifically talk about um uh, digital safety and ensuring that kids, and it's all age appropriate. We start as early as middle school, mm-hmm. um, even certain instances as, as early as fourth and fifth grade because kids are, are engaging it um, that early. In terms of the, the Boys and Girls Club, um, 
we uh, discourage young people to utilize their phones and social media while engaged in our program because it's hard to effectively uh, engage. In. However, we do have programs in the Boys and Girls Clubs uh, through the the online security lens that will allow them to be able to utilize their, their devices in an effective way. Um, and and it will, that will likely be there. We just need to – social media is here whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And it's our responsibilities as adults to make sure that we're allowing kids to, to, to use it in a safe way. Do you have any tips or best practices for parents who this is a concern for? Because I know it's a concern for all of them. Like even on the neighborhood Facebook groups, there's constant discussion about, you know, I have an 11-year-old. They want a phone. What, type, what age did you give your kids a phone? What age did you let your kids start using social media? And people are all over the board. I mean, there's the people who are saying they're not going to let their kids even have a phone until they turn 18. And then there's people who have kids in elementary school that have unfettered access to all sorts of things. Do you have any tips or best practices there? Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, not to give a, a vague answer, but it's important. It's, it's all based on the individual child. Mm-hmm. I think the more key, the more astute um, response would be that parents need to make sure that they know their kids know the signs and are able to talk to the kids once they see if they see um, that that children are being impacted by social media uh, talk to them what are they seeing what are they hearing um, uh, the kids will tell you they just need to know that you'll be able to hear and it's also important to make sure that you're not logged into your own social media you know swiping TikTok as they're trying to talk about what they're going through and, and what they're learning in social media uh, the, it's a double-edged sword because uh, the withholding of technology in certain instances can create an environment for bullying for young for young people. So making sure that that's managed through, but also um, um, ensuring that it's appropriate. I have a seven-year-old in the second grade that is lobbying for a phone. And it's and it's important to make sure that one that it's not appropriate uh, at that age uh, specifically, but then making sure that she understands the risk associated with you know technology. I was reading a study a few years ago, and I need to circle back on this, but they had referenced there's a certain part of the brain that ignites when our generation meets somebody face to face, shakes their hand, um, that this part of the brain ignites because of the connection that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the same research showed that when a child connects with a stranger online in certain instances, that same part of the brain ignites. Conversely, our generation, if we met a stranger online, that part of the brain goes dark. And in certain instances, young people, when they meet somebody face-to-face to shake the hand, that part of the brain goes dark. So we need to find a way of recognizing that that there is a lot more brain science behind what we're doing and making sure that we're preparing young people for a digital age moving forward. Right. And when it comes to preparing young people for real-world job skills, I've never seen more effective sales training than what I get from my kids when they're pitching on things like phone upgrades and can I have this app? And I, I, I can just imagine children developing very effective selling skills uh, because I see it in the presentations they put together, both verbal and visual, to their parents when they want these things. So it's, it might be doing some good in those areas. There you go. <laughs> when it comes to education and higher education, um, what can we do to make it better for kids? I feel like there's a lot of opportunity in education. We have a lot of technology now. I'm sure we've learned things going through the pandemic and experimenting with different types of education. There just seems to be a lot of opportunity there. You spend so much time educating kids with your programs, and and you see so much of the feedback. What are your thoughts on making education better? 
Um, when you say education, we're talking more of post high school or either and okay. yeah, you, yeah, yeah, whatever you feel strongest about. So I think um, first, I think we have a wonderful uh, local education system that unfortunately sometimes is misunderstood. And um, and it frankly, it takes the entire community rallying together because the school system can't do it all by themselves. Boys and girls clubs can't do it all by themselves. Um, local neighborhood groups on Facebook can't do it by themselves or churches can't do it by themselves. I think it takes all of us being able to come together. But I think uh, what, it, what it really boils down to is helping a young person develop an intrinsic value for education, recognizing it's one of the great equalizers in life, and that as long as we can help them develop the intrinsic value for education and seeing how it can provide some benefit, irrespective if they want to be an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher, that at least they've been able to develop those skills along the way and they're eager to develop those skills along the way. That's one of the things that we try to work uh, very, very uh, closely with that boys and girls clubs to help kids, you know, develop this intrinsic value. We use a, you know, it's it's not earth shattering, but we use a coin in co- coin economy mm-hmm. in boys and girls clubs. So if a kid finishes the homework, it checks out well. We give them some additional work that uh, they have the ability to be able to earn something for being able to learn something. Okay. And um, what fact, what do they earn when you say a coin economy? Uh, like, so uh, they they earn what's called PowerPoint. So every day at the boys okay. and girls club, we have certified teachers that help them with help kids with their homework if they finish homework um quickly uh, we try to give one dedicated hour of higher order thinking to reinforce what they're learning in school does a couple things one it helps them build confidence two it also helps them have greater mastery of the skills of what they're learning in school right and if they complete that they then earn power points or power bucks and we have stores within our clubs and they can get anything from a gaming uh, we're talking about technology gaming system to a a bike to a uh, a slap bracelet um but at least they have the ability to work hard for something earn something and have a tangible reward they can see and then we also tie it back to gains they may see in the school as well so if they see that because of this extra effort they put into um it directly correlating to increases of their fsa ela scores or their grades in school a light bulb goes off Mm -hmm. and once they get an opportunity to have that light bulb go off and and be able to to understand what what this looks like moving forward and how to build upon what they've learned sky's the limit to what they can accomplish particularly of kids that we serve um, that inherently have mastered some resilience because of some of the environments that they they may have encountered early on in life if we can take that resiliency that they've that they've developed early on in life couple it with a formalized education in a um, in a intrinsic value for education, the sky is the limit to what young kids can accomplish. I'd put my kids and boys and girls club against any any Harvard Yale alumni because of what they have the ability to develop. Because when things get tough, our boys and girls club kids are resilient and they know that they're going to have a way. We just got to make sure we can get them through high school, get them some formalized education, whether it's trade school or, or higher education or military service, and then give them the support that they need along the way. Yeah, they 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 learn grit yeah, at a, grit. at an earlier age than some people do, I would imagine. I, exactly. 
What are you most excited about right now? What are some new projects going on? What's on the horizon that, that you're particularly excited about? I'm very excited about our job placement that we're doing in the community. Um, particularly, there, there's a, a local program that we're doing. It's not actually not local anymore. Uh, with TD Cynix, formerly Tech Data, um, we entered into a formalized partnership where um, kids are working in their distribution centers, and we've launched. Um, the management of these programs into the Philadelphia market, moving into the Memphis market. We have our eyes on a couple other markets. In short, what's happening is kids are, when they get out of school every day, in certain instances with the on-the-job training program in the local schools, they can get out as early as noon. Um, they're working every day after school earning a certificate program or, or industry-wide recognized certificate in, in IT that's transferable. So when they graduate from high school, uh, they have a market ability to earn anywhere between forty-five dollars and $60,000 a year their first year at a, at out of a, high, school? At a high school, uh, which poses a whole other challenge of money management that we need to make sure we're helping right. because when the kids get their first paycheck, they're like, who is FICA and why are they taking, every, <laughs> taking things away from me? But it's, it's, it's a great problem to have. But also, um, as they move through this program, competitive wage cert- certification that's transferable. Yes, we want them to stay with T- TD Cinex, but if they move to a different market, they have these transferable skills, getting back to that jobs um, uh, resiliency that we're trying to help them with. But they also earn a scholarship that we have a partnership with Florida Prepaid, where mm-hmm. we have a matching scholarship that TD Cinex is matching. And then we're proud to s- we launched this program last year. All the kids that went through the program were offered full-time employment with TD Cinex. Um, so that's the first company company that we went to, uh, went to market with, and we have a couple other companies that we're in talks with now, now to replicate what we've learned from TD Cinex, um, to see how we can introduce other industries, whether it's financial services, electrical contracting, medical, data science, sports, and tourism, etc. Um, the really cool thing that this, this program was so impactful for TD Cinex that they actually lowered their corporate... Uh, minimum age requirements from 18 to 16 because of what Hmm. we're doing at Boys and Girls Club. So imagine one of the largest companies in the country um, with, you know, tens of thousands of global employees because of this partnership working with Boys and Girls Club starting right here in the Tampa Bay region uh, was able to to change the policy. And so being able to take successes like that to other companies that both have local presence and global presence is a really powerful thing. And kids see it too because they're like, these are some really cool brands that they're going to an opportunity to work with. Yeah, so, so these are high school age kids? 16, and 16 17, 18 year old. What, what types of roles are they going into? This is fascinating. So they're <laughs> going to work for, I mean, TD Cinex is a big company. It's a tech company. It's a higher level work, I would imagine. What kind of roles are they going into and what are they learning and what types of certifications? Yeah, so um, they're learning uh, that we, we're trying to give them broad-based experiential learning opportunities. So they do everything from distribution and logistics um, to um, to um, being able to do, this is where I think it's called, um, I'm going to mess up the word. It's really, uh, I just learned this. It's a uh, mirroring system where kids are programming the cell phones before they leave their warehouses okay. to go to, to different distribution channels. Okay. So talking about using technology as a, as a tool, right? kids are now being able to take these, you know, unofficial tools they've learned while being on their cell phones and apply it in a competitive way by being able to program cell phones in TD Cinex's distribution centers before they hit the shelves at, at different uh, local suppliers. 
it's it's incredible that's really amazing <laughs> yeah it really is what a, what a great program yeah very excited about that we think we have the ability to uh scale this and scale it very quickly not only with td Cenex but with with some other companies i think within the next 12 months um uh, uh it's going to be pretty cool to see some of the companies that we're working with our challenge that we have now is as we work with the, some of the local companies and and uh, national and international brands um they want thousands of kids and hundreds of kids so making sure that we can do things on the front end to build the pipeline and preparation for this tremendous demand from local businesses and then even outside of the you know large multinational um, companies working with our small and medium-sized businesses here locally mm-hmm. finding ways that we can um we can have place-based opportunities for the local cpa that just needs one person to help them man the front desk and eventually teach them how to do bookkeeping before they can become a CPA. Right. We're working in, in what that channel would look like for young people as well. Yeah, it's interesting because in some ways, just from an efficiency standpoint, it seems like it would be easier to recruit big partners, you yeah. know, like a TD Cynics or Raymond James or big companies who can take, who have a lot of capacity, you know, going exactly. back to your earlier point. But it's also equally important that people get exposed to different types of industries and more entrepreneurial and, you know, smaller businesses where they can be exposed to different things. But that presents the challenge of, well, you know, we have these small businesses and they can only take one or two people. And so we have to find a ton of those. Yeah, exactly. Um, our, our cost basis for placing kids, um, is you know the same whether or not it's one kid in one company versus fifteen kids in another company. So we we want to build the model first mm-hmm. um, with businesses that have the ability to scale, so we can reinvest um, what we've what we've been able to earn from that with the local um, small and medium sized businesses that keep our local community humming. Yeah, what skill sets are you looking for in your organization? Um, so we have um, a little over 150 employees. Um, so we're we're looking for for vast skills. So we have um, we have uh, positions that are as technical as business intelligence and data analytics to financial to HR expertise, uh, fundraising expertise. But the vast majority of all of our positions are working in some sort of program-specific capacity. Um, we're looking if you have a, a love for kids and a love for making our community a better place. Have a clean record. Um, that's very important to make sure we, we do a very extensive background tra- uh, screening. Mm-hmm. We can teach the fundamentals of youth development. We can't teach passion. So if you have a passion and affinity, we can teach you how to, um, you know, the fundamentals of youth development and, and make you successful in youth development as well. What are the most difficult roles to recruit for? Um, I would say um, our, our frontline staff are probably our most difficult roles to recruit from, partially because um, it is hard work working with kids day in, day out. Um, and working part-time. So um, as soon as we have a more professional full-time position, we don't have nearly as a difficult time filling and retaining those positions, uh, which is also causing a challenge because many of our club directors and full-time staff are so tenured in Boys and Girls Clubs that our frontline staff see that there's no mobility for them because mm-hmm. none of the full-time people are leaving in the Boys and Girls Club. So uh, we, we've actually recalibrated some of our staffing models to create different pathways for young people and our, our young people, meaning that they're just entering our 
Boys and Girls Club uh, staffing system. So we added another full-time position inside each one of our clubs um, that can serve almost as a utility position mm-hmm. that could be a, a manager in training, so to speak, so that way there's some um, laddering that can happen within the within the clubhouse locations. Um, we've also hired a full-time professional development director, training and professional development director, that can help our staff, particularly our part-time staff, have a roadmap of what their career looks like, recognizing that they may not be in a boys and girls club for 30 years, but you know, for a few a few years, um, that we can help them develop skills and abilities that can be transferable. Whether they want to be a teacher or work in some other industry, and we found that to be to have some success. Um, we we have a couple measures that we look at uh, as it relates to our. Uh, tough to fill positions. We look at vacancy rates and we look at turnover rates and we look at the change that happens. And we've made a couple investments um, into mitigating the turnover rate and, and the vacancy rate. And um, all indications show that it was a well, well worth investment. Um, part of that was the hiring of the director of professional development and training. Um, also having the additional position within the clubs that provides benefit for kids, but also has a little bit of a pathway. Um, but two, we've also realized when we heard we did stay interviews in our clubs, uh, there's a couple low cost type of investments that we had that are seeing tremendous returns. The first is giving um, benefits for part-time staff. They don't want traditional benefits. Uh, they want telehealth, mental health, mm-hmm. legal and uh, so rather than paying us a, a suite of a traditional healthcare package, you know, $300 a month, you know, we can pay $25 a month and be able to offer these benefits at a, at a discounted, not a discounted rate, but much cheaper than a traditional way. Right. And we would have never learned that unless we did the stay interviews with the young people. We also realize that they want PTO as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so by adding the additional positions allows us to have the capacity to allow them to be able to balance their mental health, to be able to take time off. So our PTO policy actually has an accelerated vesting schedule. So recognizing a traditional way of saying, hey, you stay with us for one year, you can get two weeks PTO accrued. Our, our part-time staff are accruing PTO in six-month increments, um, which sends a loud message that we, we care about them, and small things like paid holidays. Yeah. Um, so making those small tweaks are making we're, – we're now seeing some tremendous returns, and it, it becomes a, a mission imperative for us because, yes – it just makes good business sense to make sure we have less turnover, but it's a mission imperative for us because less turnover equates to a better club experience. Better club experience equates to kids attending our clubs more often, which equates to better life outcomes later on in life for our young people. Definitely. What's the growth outlook for your organization? This is a you know fast-growing area. I would imagine that that means more kids and more opportunity for fundraising and more clubs. What? Yeah. How does it look for yeah. you? So, uh, we as we look on the horizon um, by 2026, uh, we anticipate that we will provide services to 40,000 kids in Pinellas County, and uh, we will uh, provide an additional 20 location, 20 boys and girls club locations here in Pinellas County. And uh, and how many do you have now? Right now, we have eight traditional clubs. And you're planning for 20 more? 20 additional clubs. Okay, that's pretty and aggressive growth. It, it, is, it is aggressive, um, but it's needed because the, the reality is, is, yes, Boys and Girls Club kids are doing better in school. They're graduating from high school. They're staying out of trouble. But if we're truly focused on community-wide outcomes, mm-hmm. 
we need to start moving the middle instead of working just the margins that we have uh, here. And uh, we, we've got to look at ways that we can scale, we can scale quickly, because if boys and girls clubs aren't doing it, other out-of-school time providers aren't doing it, who else does it? And the sense of urgency is, as we recognize the devastating impacts that COVID-19 has had on our local community, we've got to ramp up our service delivery model. And um, I think we'll get there. We, we've got a couple cool things and in, in works that we think that will help provide that. When I say 20 locations, these may look different than our traditional model. But one thing that the pandemic taught us is that looking at traditional models is a very ineffective way of running a business. As evidence, the, the the new benefits that we're providing for part-time staff, as evidence in the way that we're serving kids now, we'll have different models that are efficient that allow us to drive sustainable impact into the future. What are the friction points? Uh, friction points. What are the friction? What are the things that will? you know, could slow you down or stand in your way to doing what you just talked about? Yeah, so we, we have a couple headwinds that we are fully aware of. Um, the volatility in, in the stock market um, has an impact on donor psyche. Uh, we also understand that the, um, the uh, understanding of our taxable base, uh, particularly around property values here, um, that if there's a downturn, there could be some impact there. But also just the general political climate of of taxable revenues that could be made available for not-for-profits uh, could could have an impact on us. So that's something that we're, we're taking a very, very close look at. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we're taking a look at is uh, we're unwavering in our commitment to safety. So we don't want to grow for growth's sake. We want to ensure that we have the highest quality staff, the highest quality programs, and the highest quality environments. Uh, so ensuring that we can still maintain that rigor moving forward, and we will maintain that rigor. Um, so those are, those are a couple of things that we we need to make sure we keep out in front of us and mm-hmm. and um, and imagine. However, we're now getting some excellent data that we're learning through the pandemic in terms of our program outcomes that really help differentiate us in terms of what normal philanthropy looked at as nonprofits. So we can say that, you know, it costs Boys and Girls Clubs, you know, one and a half million dollars last year to provide services to 500 kids that receive literacy support. Mm -hmm. On the surface, that's like, okay, I don't know if that's very efficient. But if I told you of those 500 kids that uh, that 30% of them weren't reading at grade level and that all uh, over 90% of those 500 kids are now reading at grade level and require less remedial work inside the schools and have a higher likelihood of graduation that we can now quantify what that ROI is. And uh, we've been looking at our programs and reframing the way we discuss, discuss them. And we think that it, it will, it will prove fruitful over the next few years as we move into a growth mode. Yeah. I would, I would imagine that having the outcome data makes a huge difference, you yeah. know, is something that might on the surface sound like an expensive proposition when you find out what the actual outcome in and how it, you know, how it affects children's lives. Exactly. Well, you can't really put a price on that. Exactly. You know, We're or, also looking at other funding structures such as um, there, there's uh, funding mechanisms um, that are on the West Coast and also in, in Europe 
um, called social impact bonds. So the savings that we provide to society based on the proven outcomes that we've been able to quantify and replicate, um, being able to set up in terms in an investment bond that could be purchased through local government. So just thinking outside the box, Interesting. looking at innovative ways that we can drive our business, um, our, our business success and um yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly get there. Yeah. What role have mentors played in your life, in your career? <laughs> I chuckle because I would not be where I am today without a whole lot of mentors. Uh, mentors are so important. Um, I do want to stop and pause there because my I have a concern for the business community, for young people who only want to work from home. It is difficult to be able to forge those true relationships that that may have existed inside of an office space in an office setting. So I think that it's not, it's not a zero sum game where, you know, um, you have no mentor if you're only working from home. I think that the, for, for young listeners and young professionals, there needs to be some intentionality of seeking, identifying a mentor with, within their company and also external outside of their company that can help them gain visibility and also gain some insights and in, into learning and growing. I don't think, um, we, as, a, as a business community, we've quite thought through what that looks like in the relationships and the, the lack of mentors that young people um, in the workforce may not be gaining. But going back to the mentors, um, I've had mentors that have helped me all along the way. Um, uh, coaches, uh, even, even friends to a certain extent. You know, there's no title, age, or position that can quote unquote define as a mentor. And I think all of us need to always have a mentor and we always need to be pushed. We always need to be held accountable. We always need to be stretched in our ways of thinking. And, um, it, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, I, I just, uh, um, made the confession to my wife that she has probably been one of the most influential mentors of mine. Um, her entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, having this, you know, great job in the villages, starting from scratch and moving back home into St. Pete and starting a law firm from her, you know, kitchen counter to now having a th thriving law practice with the office in St. Pete and Lakewood Ranch is something to be admired. And I find myself often seeking counsel and how I can be more entrepreneurial and, and, and her ways in which she approaches everything. So, yeah. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> Have you had the opportunity to mentor others? Uh, I, I have. Do you I have, have people that consult you on a regular basis? Are you part of somebody's personal board of directors, any of those types of relationships? Yeah. So I'm on others' personal board of directors, and I have a personal board of directors. Um, I'm involved with um, two... Uh, CEO peer groups. Uh, the um, the CEO Council of Tampa Bay is one CEO peer group. I'm also involved with Vistage, um, which is another CEO council group. Um, the members of both uh, serve on, in a formalized personal board of directors. But along the way, I have many business leaders that um, depending on the, what I have going on or what challenges or opportunity may present itself, I'll, I'll call upon. And I, that's so critically important. I have a board of directors for Boys and Girls Clubs of the Sun Coast. I could probably get away with, without the personal board because of how dynamic our, our my corporate board is. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there, there's, there's something to be said to being able to have that, um, unrelated party to be able to, to work with. Um, I have, uh, mentors, um, 
of local professionals. It's very important to me to, uh, when I was at the Boys and Girls Club, they always said that when you make it, reach your hand back and pull someone along. So it's important to make sure that I can pull other professionals along uh, to help them in their own careers and use my story as a, as a motivator, learn from my successes, but learn from some of my shortcomings along the way too to to help them so i I have a couple boys and girls club professionals that i've taken a personal interest in um i have some non-boys and girls club professionals um both for-profit and non-profit that uh, i serve in a mentor capacity but i also have a it uh, i need i have not been connected since the pandemic because of uh, because of some of the different rules associated. But I, I had a lunch pal at Largo Middle School, and it was important to me. And he wasn't even involved in the Boys and Girls Club. Hmm. I thought it was important to make sure that if I'm going to walk the talk, the talk, I better walk the walk and and be there for young people and inspire other business leaders to say, hey, you know, I have a busy schedule too, but I can find time once a week to have lunch with a young person. So Ron Diner at Raymond James and Lunch Pal Program um, is, a, is a phenomenal program that I was – happy to be involved with and um i look forward to getting plugged back into that now that we're there's some semblance of of normalcy post right. post pandemic right what does a typical day look like for you <laughs> um i we have three kids so seven three and one um and the mornings are kind of uh my peace peaceful time so uh my wife and i wake up earlier and we take time to catch up on reading have time to be able to to discuss what what the day looks like what the week looks like also being able just to catch up as spouses um i i break my day into two different pieces uh, the morning is what I call being on offense, and the afternoons what I call being on defense. So I try to uh, use the vast majority of the morning for strategic imperatives that require brain capacity for mm-hmm. me to be able to think creative, creatively and so forth. Um, I try to schedule at least one in-person lunch uh, per day um, to because it's always a great opportunity to be able to build relationships, expand relationships, and catch up and so forth. And then after lunch is what I call being on defense. That's where I, I finish task. I, I respond to emerging challenges and needs within the organization. Um, I try to cut things off every day by 6.30 um, because it's important to me to make sure that I'm present with my kids. Uh, my daughter will remind me that um, you know it's, it's time to turn the phone off, it's time to close the laptop, mm-hmm. and it's important to, and we have, what we do is we have a, a checkoff time to have some way, whether we walk together or ride bikes together, we have a golf cart, so sometimes we'll do a golf cart ride around the neighborhood, um, or sometimes just a matter of, of being able to to just hang out and watch my daughter play with her friends in the driveway after school. And that's kind of like that checkout mode of mm-hmm. making sure that I can check into my most important job, which is being a husband and father. Um, I um, Getting back to practicing what I preach, it's important to, for me personally to instill love for learning and reading with our kids. So we read with our kids every night, which I absolutely love. Uh, my, my son, who's three, um, he's now really developing a love for learning and reading. And so I have to, you know, he, if, he, if, I, if he had it his way, he would have me read him 20 books a night, uh, and he would read 10 books. And it's just cool seeing him, like, small... Um, uh, small uh, progression points where he understands which way to hold the book, mm-hmm. which the which way to turn the pages, and the small milestones like that we, we build off of. Um, 
kind of getting back, you hear me mention about making sure in Boys and Girls Club we have something called Buick. It's um, it's an acronym, and um, it gives kids a sense of belonging, usefulness, um, influence, and competence. And if we can give kids those four things, brain science and youth development suggests that that's what they need to be engaged. So we try to do the same thing with our kids. So my um, so we even took it as far as my daughter. We let our daughter name our son. So at the time, so she's seven. So there's <laughs> could three. be a risky proposition. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. So we asked we asked our daughter. Said you know when we found out we were pregnant. Uh, we tried to socialize the idea of having a, a, a kid. So mm-hmm. she had a stuffed animal that would serve as like her baby brother or sister. She would read books to her future baby brother or sister. And we asked our daughter, like, what, what do you want if we if we what do you want to name your baby brother if it's a boy? It's going to be Bear. And I was like, what if it's a girl? It's going to be Luna. And um, we said, well, why Bear and Luna? She's like, because those are my favorite books and the characters. Uh-huh. So my son's name is Bear. <laughs> and uh, his, his his legal name is, is Frederick Williams III. Um, but we call him Bear. He knows himself as Bear. And... Um, um, so it's it's it, it's cool to see that we've been able to practice some of those same things that we preach in our professional lives back at home. Love that. I remember reading to my kids when they were younger, and I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but my kids had favorite books that they wanted read over and over and over <laughs> again. And it could become tedious, but it was fun because they liked it. But it was amazing to me just how their brains worked and the fact that I would read these books to my kids and they would notice if I missed a word. Like if I was tired and I skipped a word, they would correct me. I'm like, the, a child's brain is just amazing. It really is. You know, and God forbid I flip and skip a page or something. I, I remember getting scolded several times. But You'll never forget the first time you skip a page. Yeah. You yeah. get caught on that. What about you? How do you stay sharp? Um, I, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm part of the, um, the two CEO groups um, I went back to school um, to get my MBA, re- realizing that you know a, a bachelor's degree in public affairs, political science isn't going to cut it. And running a, a ten million dollar business, um, I've gone uh, and formalized certificate programs every couple of years. Uh, so I've done a program at Harvard for performance measurement. I've done something at University of Indiana on fundraising management, something Arizona State on nonprofit innovation. But it sounds weird, but um, my new thing is I'm learning coding. Okay. And um, What type? What what are you learning? uh, Just basic computer coding. Okay. Um, Like a language, like Python? Yeah, trying to. So right now, uh, watching YouTube channels and um, trying to get a better understanding of the language of coding. And part of the reason I realize is, you know, business and accounting, accounting is the language of business. And it's important to to study these different languages. So I find myself trying to understand the language of technology. So if, 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 if we're going to try to help prepare young people for careers in technology, I probably need to develop some proficiency in it. So I'm always looking for ways to to, to learn different different languages. Yeah. And um, who knows? Maybe I can I can build some software later down the road once I become proficient enough um, in the coding. But uh, I think it's important to make sure as individuals we always try to find ways that we can be sharp because if we're not growing, that we're going backwards because. Um, it's just the way of life. Um, I've kicked around the idea of maybe going back to school once we move through the high growth um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, period through 2026. 
Um, kids may be a little bit older at that point, so we'll see what happens. Um, but I also listen to a podcast. One of my favorite podcasts is something on Sirius um, XM uh, called Leadership in Action, and they bring guest speakers in from the business community to just talk about the art and science and leadership. And I find myself being a student of really trying to understand the art and science of leadership because at the end of the day, at Boys and Girls Club, we're, I'm trying to help develop leaders in our volunteers and staff that can help develop leaders at our, our kids. And I need to have a grasp command of what that really looks like and learning from others, whether they're uh, a general in the Army or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Um, some of the basic principles and tenets are all very similar, and I find myself being a student of that. Great advice. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. I appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing that information, and it was great to meet you. Oh, pleasure's mine. Thank you for having me. 